Welcome to the City Church Cardiff podcast. We're an Elim Pentecostal church in the center of Cardiff dedicated to bringing hope in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you're inspired and impacted by this message. Loads of great stuff happening in the life of City Church, but today is a day of celebration. Happy Easter, happy Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is alive. He is risen. It is wonderful news. You know, today is the most significant day in the Christian calendar. Today is the day that we celebrate that Jesus did not stay dead, but that he rose again. On Friday, we marked the day around 2,000 years ago when Jesus went to the cross and died for our sin. But today we mark the day that he didn't stay in the tomb, but he rose again. And this morning, I want to look at the account of the discovery of the empty tomb and the announcement of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, most people have heard the Easter story. Most people will have heard something of the Easter story. If you haven't, though, I'm super excited for you because it is a brilliant story. And the best bit about it is it's true. But for a lot of people, you've heard about the Easter story. In fact, for some of you, that's what your faith rests on. You know that your faith is rooted in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's a day of celebration for you. For some of you, you once knew that this was a truth. You once celebrated it, but life's kind of got in the way. The stuff of life has become a heavy burden for you. And so it's kind of a memory, and you know the story, but you're kind of going through the motions, if you're honest. And for some of you, well, you like the eggs and the bunnies and the long weekend off, but actually, you're not really sure whether this is a bit of a fictional story. Now, Whatever your situation is, whoever you are in those groups, I want to encourage you today to take another look, to take another look at Jesus. I want to encourage you in three responses to the Easter message, three responses to the resurrection, three ways for you to look at these events that are recorded about the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to read from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they'd prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. So let me encourage you in this first response to the Easter message. I want to suggest that the first thing that we can do is to look for life, to look for life. Some of the women, they'd been followers of Jesus, and they'd gone to the tomb where Jesus had been buried. At the end of the previous chapter of Luke, we read that they'd been preparing the spices and the perfumes to anoint Jesus' body. 
uh, but in accordance with the law that they'd rested on the Sabbath day, the day after Jesus had died. Now, spices and perfumes were used to anoint bodies because of the smell of the decomposition. It's a very practical thing. And so the women, they wanted to demonstrate in this very practical way their love for Jesus, even after he died. Because in life, they'd honored him, they'd followed him, they'd cared for him, they'd loved him, but it wasn't going to stop after he died. Those of you who've lost somebody, those of you who've had a loved one who's died, this won't be a surprise to you because even after they've died, perhaps you've wanted to do something that honors them, that demonstrates your love for them. Perhaps you've wanted to place a, a plaque or a memorial stone. Perhaps you've wanted to give to a cause or a charity that they were passionate about. Perhaps you've got their picture in pride of place in your home. You don't stop loving them when they die. And neither did these women. They didn't stop loving Jesus. They wanted to care for him, care for his body, even though he was no longer alive, or so they thought. When they got to the tomb, it was empty. The stone had been rolled away. They knew that they'd seen Jesus die because they were there when it happened. They'd seen it happen when some of the other disciples had fled in fear and trembling. Well, they'd stayed, and they'd seen him die on the cross They saw that it had happened, and they knew that he was buried in this particular tomb because they'd seen a man called Joseph carry his body and lay him in that particular tomb. And so when they find the tomb empty and Jesus' body not there, they must have been confused. And you know what? I'm going to state the obvious here. You know, the same is true back then as it is now. Bodies don't just pop up left, right, and center. It was the same then. It would have been a surprise that the body was not there. Now, nobody disputes the fact that the tomb was, in fact, empty, but people have tried to come up with alternative explanations as to why it was empty. Now, one theory is that the authorities took the body and moved it and hid it away. But the biggest problem with this suggestion is it really wasn't in their best interest to do that. They'd already been worried about the fact that Jesus seemed to have been developing power and following, and they were concerned about the impact on them that that would have. They wanted him dead. And so... When they found out that he was dead, when they killed him, they would have wanted him to stay dead, definitely dead. In fact, they were the ones that when the rumors started spreading that he'd come back to life, they were trying to squash those rumors. And the easiest way to have done that would have been to have presented a body. But they couldn't. Now, another suggestion has been that the disciples stole the body and hid it in order to make this claim that he'd risen from the dead. But you know, these disciples, they went on to be persecuted, and many of them died horrible deaths because of their claims, because of the fact that they said that Jesus had risen from the dead. People don't die for something they know isn't true. And you know, the easiest thing for them to do in the moments where they were being tortured and killed would have been say, actually, hands up. We made it all up. But they didn't. In fact, they went from fearful and in hiding to courageously declaring that Jesus was alive after they'd seen him risen from the dead. So the women, they find the tomb empty and Jesus' body gone. And the angel says to the women, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. The angel is saying, Jesus is not dead. He's alive. Don't look for Um, the the living amongst the dead. Don't look amongst the, the tombstones and the graveyards because he's no longer dead. He's risen from the grave. They'd have been expecting to find a body, but instead they're hearing this message of life. Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. 
And that's what he was demonstrating right here. He's alive, and that means there is life for us too. Everlasting life, eternal life, life beyond death, life in all of its fullness with Jesus. Jesus was not amongst the dead because he wasn't just a good teacher. Jesus was not amongst the dead because he wasn't just a prophet. He was Jesus Christ, God himself, who died and rose again, defeating the power of sin and death. And so Jesus being alive, well, it means that we can have life. Jesus being alive brings life. And so if we want to find life, real life, true and everlasting life, it can only be found in Jesus. So here's my question to you this morning. Where are you looking for life? Are you looking for life in Jesus or somewhere else? Are you looking for life where actually you'll only ever find death? Are you looking for life amongst something that's actually caused you despair and disappointment? Perhaps you've spiraled into habits or addictions that you know lead to death. Or maybe you're looking for life amongst stuff that doesn't feel that bad. You know, actually, it seems like quite good stuff, but you're looking for life in work or new experiences or social life or relationships. When you look for life in Jesus, when you make Jesus the center of everything, well, the other stuff, it kind of gets in order. But true and everlasting life isn't found in anyone or anything else other than Jesus himself. He can't just be an add-on, another aspect of life that we kind of tack on to the other stuff that we've got going on because otherwise we miss out on the fullness of life that is found in Jesus. Jesus was not amongst the dead because he's alive. And when we find Jesus, we find life. So in response to the Easter message, we can look for life. And secondly, I want to encourage you to look at God's promises. Look at God's promises. While the women were wondering what happened, confused about the absence of Jesus' body, the angel says to them, remember how he told you, when he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. Jesus' disciples, they'd been told what was going to happen. They'd heard this message. Jesus had already said that he was going to be crucified and he was going to be raised to life on the third day. Luke 9, 22, and, and he said, Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day, be raised to life. And so the angel, well, simply reminding the women of what Jesus has already said what Jesus has already told them. The women remembered and it changed everything. The body's not there because Jesus had been raised to life just as he said he would, just as he promised he would. This means that Jesus is who he claimed to be and he does what he says he will do. You know, God is love. God is kind and loving and good. And he's just and holy. But human beings, we've gone against God. We've gone against God's way and God's plan. We've tried to do life without God and there's stuff that we say and do and think that gets in the way. It creates a barrier between us and God. This is called sin. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's sin that separates us from God. But God promised a Messiah all the way through Scripture. God was promising that he was going to send a Messiah. This Messiah that was prophesied, God promised, would come and save the people from their sins. Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises. And the resurrection is the demonstration that God's promises are true. God delivers on what he promises. Many of us, we like a good deal, don't we? 
Who likes a good deal? I like a good deal. But often they come with a caveat, don't they? Often they're a bit too good to be true. They come with a small print, you know, the kind of little writing that's underneath. You know, when it's on TV, you can watch an advert and there'll be tiny little writing at the bottom. That's the small print, that's the terms and conditions. Or, or in print, you know, there'll be an advert for something and there'll be tiny little writing. And so the advertising company, they're covered. As long as they put in the terms and conditions, the details about this offer or whatever it is, they're covered. Now, where I start to feel a bit sorry for advertisers is radio. Because there's no writing, is there? And so they've got to cram in this advertising message, as well as these terms and conditions, in the space of about 20 or 30 seconds. And so when you listen to an advert on the radio, it kind of goes something like this. Great news, 25% off. Come to our store. There's loads going on. You don't want to miss this offer. It is brilliant. Terms and conditions applies. Only participating in stores, only between the hours of 11 and 11.03. And if you're wearing red, and, if you're... and you kind of go, was that 25% off? I think that's what they're hoping would happen. We uh, had a voucher for a restaurant, a discount for a restaurant recently. We went out for a meal. And when we arrived, we were very excited, took our seats, uh, excited to have our meal with a discount. Tastes better with a discount, doesn't it? And we took our seats, and we were told the discount only applied on non-event days. <laughs> Can you imagine in Cardiff with marathons and rugby and theatre shows and everything else? I think the offer would probably be valid on the second Tuesday in October or something like that. This is the problem with small print, isn't it? I once heard this phrase, you know, what the large print giveth, the small print taketh away. <laughs> it's kind of accurate, isn't it? The resurrection means that we can count on God's promises. The large print is that Jesus is alive. And there is no small print. It is just good news. So here's my next question for you. Have you looked at God's promises? Have you looked at God's promises? Do you know that God has promised salvation to all those who believe in Jesus? Do you know that God has promised forgiveness for our sin? Do you know that God has promised to always be with you? Do you know that God has promised to comfort you in challenging times? Do you know that he's promised to love you with an everlasting love, that you'll be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, that you'll spend eternity with God in heaven when you've committed to following him? Do you know maybe somebody here... Maybe you used to be on fire for God. Maybe you used to be really burning with passion for God, and now there's just a little bit of a flicker left. Now, if you're honest, the stuff of life has just got in the way, and where you had a determination, it's turned to disappointment. Where you used to have a hope, it's turned to hurt. Where you used to experience love, well, now you just feel a little bit lost. If that's where you are today, can I just encourage you to remember God's promises? Look at God's promises. His promises are true. His promises are trustworthy. His promises are real. You can count on him to come through. Jesus said that he was going to be killed and that he'd be raised to life on the third day. And that's what happened. The resurrection demonstrates that God's promises can be trusted. He is who he says he is and he does what he said he will do. So look for life. Look for God's promises. And thirdly, look for yourself. Let's go back to our passage in Luke 24, verses 9 to 12. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. 
So the women, they've been at the tomb, and they come back to the rest of the disciples. The 11 apostles, remember, Judas has betrayed Jesus, so it's no longer the 12, and it's the 11 apostles and the others who were following Jesus. And the women, they tell the rest of the group what's happened, but the rest of the group, they don't believe. In fact, the rest of the group, they, they, say, they think that the, word, the women's words sound like nonsense. It's unreal. Now, I don't know what your reaction to this is. Maybe you hear that and you think, well, fair enough, because it is a bit of a fantastical story. I can understand why they might have had that reaction. Or some of you might be thinking, I just don't get why the penny didn't drop. He'd said he was going to do this. Perhaps the disciples didn't believe at this point because it just wasn't logical. It doesn't make sense. Perhaps they were blinded by fear and confusion. Perhaps they didn't dare believe that it was actually true. But here's what's interesting in their reaction. While the text only tells us that the disciples didn't believe at this point, it does tell us that Peter goes to look for himself. He's not sure what's going on. He's not sure what's happened. He's not sure what to think. This incredible story that the women have come back to tell him of an empty tomb and an angel saying that Jesus is alive. And so he goes to check for himself. And he also finds that the tomb is empty, and he finds the grave clothes, the, the strips of linen lying by themselves. Unlike the women, he doesn't have an encounter with an angel. And he leaves wondering, what's happened? He's still not sure, but he went to look for himself. He went to find out. He went to explore. He was open enough to find out what had actually happened. And maybe you're not sure if this is all real. You know, someone who claimed to be God, coming to earth to die for my sin and for your sin, and then coming back to life. But if it is real, it changes everything. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. We were the family that used to tick Church of England on the forms when they'd ask you what religion you were, because that's just kind of what you did. You ticked Church of England because that was the proper thing to do. And I grew up in this idea that maybe God was real. Maybe. But I really don't like those Christians. I couldn't stand the church. My sister had become a Christian at quite a young age, but I'd had a pretty awful experience of church, actually, and so I wanted to steer well clear. I kind of just thought that Christians were spoiling everybody's fun, telling everybody what to do with their trifle and their quiche and their schlur and their socks and sandals and all the other stereotypes that I had. You know, if you told teenage me that I was going to be a pastor one day, I would have laughed my head off. So don't ever let anyone tell you that God doesn't have a good sense of humor. Anyway, age 25, I found myself living with some Christians, my sister and brother-in-law. And I found that, yes, they do like trifle, but they lived what they said. I found that Jesus really was the center of their lives. I found that their generosity and their kindness and their loving nature, well, it came from this belief that they had in Jesus. They really did live out the stuff that they talked about. They really did care about the stuff that they believed in. And so I ended up having this amazing encounter with God. And I remember the day, I remember the day that I prayed a prayer that said that I was sorry for the stuff that had got in the way, sorry for the sin in my life. I asked for God's forgiveness and I committed to following Jesus for the rest of my life. And you know what? From that day, everything changed. Everything changed. You know, one of the first things that I did after I'd prayed that prayer was I started praying for my mum because she wasn't a Christian. And I'd experienced this wonderful, incredible encounter with God, and I was having this relationship with God, and it was amazing and brilliant, and I wanted her to have the same. And so I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And sometimes it felt like we were having a breakthrough, because I'd have conversations with her, and we'd be talking about God, and it'd feel like she was sort of edging closer, and I thought, this is it, she's going to want to pray the prayer. And then she'd say things like, 
I just don't want someone telling me what to do. Or she'd say something like, well, if he's really real, how come I can't hear his voice right now? And actually, she was a regular church attender, and I'd ask her after the services that she'd go to on a Sunday, and I'd say, what did you think, Mum? What did you think? And she'd say, it was nice. It was nice. But actually, as the years went on, I saw her edge closer and closer to God until one day I realized she's actually in an active and living relationship with God. And she started to say things to me like, I'm so glad I'm following Jesus. And I'd be like, me too, me too, mom. She'd pray for me and we'd talk about the Bible and we'd talk about sermons and, and it was incredible. And then one day she, she phoned me. She'd remembered a conversation that we'd had years ago about what happens after you die. And she phoned me, and the only reason she phoned me that day, we'd speak regularly, but she phoned me that day particularly because she said, I just want you to know, I do know where I'm going when I die, you know. I do know where I'm going. Just over a month later, she died really suddenly in May 2020. She was 67, and she died of COVID-related organ failure. And I wasn't allowed to be there until the very, very end because of the restrictions. And I stood in this hospital room as they turned the life support machines off in full PPE, with plastic gloves on, holding her hands, experiencing the presence of God like no other time in my life. Because I stood there and I remembered her words, I know where I'm going when I die. And I knew where she was going. She was going to be with Jesus in heaven. And so in that horrible, awful situation, I had a confidence, and so would she have done that she was going to be with Jesus. The truth of the resurrection changes everything. It changes how we live and it changes how we die. It gives you a hope and a joy that would be utterly impossible in this life without it. Some people, when they find out that, um, about Jesus, they have this definitive encounter and they can name the day and they believe like these women in Luke 24, but some they might take a little bit more time like the rest of the disciples. But you know, they didn't stay in disbelief. They didn't stay in disbelief. If you read on in chapter 24, you'll see that they encountered Jesus for themselves and they themselves believed. Let me tell you, whether you have a sudden encounter with God like I did, or whether it takes you a little bit more time like my mum, we're all welcome just the same. All of heaven rejoices over every single person who makes a commitment to Jesus. All of heaven rejoices over every person that says, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to give my life to you. So let me ask you this question. Have you looked for yourself at whether the resurrection is true? Have you looked for yourself at the evidence for the resurrection you might be wondering today, and you've been wondering for a while, actually, if you're honest, and you've kind of been wrestling with this, and maybe today's the day that you're going to say yes to Jesus. But wherever you are in discovering or encountering this journey, let me encourage you to look for yourself. Look at the evidence for the resurrection. Look at the fact that there was an empty tomb. No body was able to be produced. Look at the eyewitness accounts that over 500 people saw Jesus alive after he'd been killed and buried in the tomb. Look at the fact that it was women who were the first at the empty tomb and first to see the risen Jesus alive. Just to give you some context there, at that time, the, the testimony of women, it wasn't valued. Their testimony wasn't admissible in court. And so if you're going to make up a story and make it sound credible, you wouldn't have had women as the first witnesses and yet every single gospel writer is clear that the women were the first at the tomb and the first to see Jesus 
Look at the transformation of the disciples. They went from fearful and in hiding to courageously declaring that Jesus is alive, even when it meant that they were killed for it. And look at what was born out of this truth. Because it wasn't something that just a small group of people ended up believing in. 2.4 billion people across the world call themselves Christians today. So how can we respond to this Easter message? Look for life. Look at God's promises. And look for yourself. The resurrection changes everything. It means Jesus is who he claimed to be. He is the son of God. It means he has the power that he claimed to have, the power to overcome sin and the grave and death. It means that we can have a living relationship with God. It means that our lives aren't random, that they have meaning and a purpose. It means miracles really do happen. It means Jesus is risen, he is alive, and the resurrection really does change everything. It's good news. It's good news today. I want to lead us in a, a prayer and give an opportunity to anybody who hasn't yet made a commitment to Jesus. Maybe when I mentioned you felt a bit of a nudge inside you that today's the day to say yes to Jesus. Today's the day to make that commitment. Today's the day to come and say sorry for the stuff that's got in the way of your relationship with God and to allow Jesus to bridge that divide to come into a living relationship with God, to be able to talk to him and hear from him, to be able to follow him, to give your life to him. And you know, when you make that commitment, it's just the first step. The rest of your life is figuring out what that looks like and learning how we follow Jesus. But it's great to have that first step and say yes. Say yes to following Jesus. And so the way that we're going to do that, we're going to pray a prayer together. It's going to come up on the screen. We're all going to say this together, but this is particularly for you. If you've never prayed this prayer before, if you've never made a commitment to Jesus. So let's say together, Jesus, I acknowledge that I've done wrong things and that my sin has separated me from you. But I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Today, I ask for your forgiveness and thank you for your gift of new life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I choose relationship with you, and I choose to live for you. Please come into my heart and change my life, now and forevermore. Amen. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. To find out more, visit our website at citychurchcardiff.com or find us on social media.